Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Well, thanks, Derek Bilstead. I'm going to have some explaining to do. Just a, a few minutes ago, he came in and he, he, gave, me, he gave me something, and I, I was doing what I was supposed to do with this thing, and, and I didn't realize it had glitter all over it. And so th- this glitter is now all over me. You know, it, it's all over the sweater. It's all over the pants. It's all over the floor here. It's just like, oh, okay, there, there's glitter on all this stuff. And, and th- this is the second time in the last several months this has happened to me. We have some very dear friends who um, spend about five months of the year in Florida, the rest of the time here. They were driving back from Florida. This would have been last spring. They stop off at this distillery. I think it's in North Carolina, and they make bourbon. There's not too many places that make bourbon outside of Kentucky, but they they bought me a bottle of this bourbon. Okay, so that's great. And then my friends Dale and Maggie, they put it in this, this bag, like a gift bag, and they gave it to me, and it's great. But what I didn't realize is this was one of these bags that was full of glitter. And so I'm, I'm like handling it. Then I get in the car, and all of a sudden there's glitter all over my hair, and there's glitter all over my hands, and there's glitter all over everything. And I'm thinking, okay, I think, I mean, I appreciate it. It's the thought that counts, but it's this, these bags and stuff with the glitter, for goodness sakes. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. First, just a couple housekeeping matters. This Veterans Day, you can make a difference. Join John McCure and Stars and Stripe Honor Flight for WTMJ Cares Operation Glory to help send our brave men and women to Washington, D.C. Each year, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight sends thousands of veterans to the nation's capital. Now is your chance to help them get there. WTMJ Cares Operation Glory wants to send a plane full of veterans on one of these amazing trips to donate or learn more about our latest WTMJ Cares initiative, which we're rolling out today. Go to our website, WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. It is brought to you by Carrick Homes. All right, so that's number one. Number two, um, I've been telling you about this all week. Tomorrow, 4.30, the city of Waukesha. This is their eighth, I believe, annual Operation Honor. It's their way of saying thank you to veterans. Doors open at 3.30. The event starts at 4.30. It's on Baxter Street at the Schutze, I think that's how you pronounce it, Recreation Center in downtown Waukesha. I'm going to the MC. The mayor will be there. There will be a huge military presence. Uh, Donald Dunbar It will be doing, the, who was in, previously, I believe, in charge of the Wisconsin National Guard. He will be giving keynote speech. There's going to be a military band there. And after the program, which only takes about 30 to 45 minutes, they're, they're going to be serving a meal to, to everybody that, that's there. So if you are a veteran, you are extremely welcome. If you know a veteran, why don't you bring them to this? It's a wonderful event. It's been growing year after year after year, and it's my honor to be a part of that. That is tomorrow, City of Waukesha, 
Schutze Recreation Center, downtown Waukesha. Doors open at 3.30. The event starts at 4.30. So that is very cool as well. Of course, Veterans Day coming up uh, formally a week from Monday. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let let us get started. Now, I'm kind of old school. When I was growing up, most of the time, my mom made my lunch. Okay, that that was it. She she'd, you know, take an apple and a sandwich and she would send me and maybe some potato chips and a little plastic thing and she would send me to school with my little bag lunch, right? That's how it worked. There were other times though where okay, I, maybe she ran out of time or whatever and what they would do is they would send me to school and I would get the hot lunch. Now back in the day, you would get in line, you really didn't have a lot of choices. You had whatever they were serving that particular day. They gave it to you and you'd go through the cafeteria line and at the end, you would you would give whoever was working as the cashier, you would give them money, you know, 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, whatever your your lunch cost, whatever that was. And then you'd go on your way. Well, we don't do that anymore. You, You don't pay cash in schools. What happens is pretty much everybody has credit cards or these charge cards or whatever that, again, you you show up, you get your lunch, you give the debit card to the cashier and the cashier takes the money away. All right. Well, what happens when the parents don't put money in the kid's debit card. And for the purpose of our discussion, I want to be real clear. We are not talking about children who qualify for the free lunches or for the reduced price lunches. You know, we're talking about kids whose parents have the ability to pay for the child's lunch. So that, that's that's the starting point. So what happens if after getting multiple notes – and being told, hey, the, the kid's balance is in arrears, what happens if mom and dad, for whatever reason, most being they're just too damn lazy, to put money in the kid's accounts? You know, what happens? And school districts have been wrestling with this. Many school districts won't go ahead and give the kids food, and that, of course, creates this huge outrage. Some school districts say, okay, well, we're not going to let the kids go hungry, So, but what we're going to do is we're, we're not going to give them the full hot lunch. We'll give them a cheese sandwich, or we'll give them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or we'll give them a tuna sandwich. By the way, Jordan, who's producing the show today, grew is on vacation. I like tuna fish sandwiches. I, you know, if, if I could have a tuna fish sandwich for lunch every day, I would, I would absolutely love it. So it works for me. You I'd know? rather starve, Jeff. Sorry. Than a, a tuna fish sandwich. Okay, well, that's, that's right. See, I don't even get to eat sandwiches anymore. I have these wraps. I'm not supposed to eat bread. So, I mean, I don't even get the sandwiches anymore. I just, but I like the tuna fish. But anyhow, th- that's the deal. And, and that's the idea that, Okay, we're, we're going to give the kids something, but we can't just keep giving them lunches that they do not pay for. And this always creates outrage over what they call lunch shaming. Oh, this is too terrible. Well, I want to tell you about a story. It's a suburb, a suburban New Jersey school system. So we're talking again about the suburbs. So don't call up and say, okay, well, these are these poor kids that you know can't afford it. No, they can afford it. All right, so here's the deal. They found that they were just, parents were just blowing off the requirement that kids, um, you know, that, that kids have to pay for the lunches. So they started this policy saying that if you were more than $20 in arrears, they would carry you up to 20 bucks. And again, keep in mind that they notify the parents. They would carry you up to $20. But 
once you hit 20 bucks in the hole, what they would do is they would give you the tuna fish sandwich. You, you, you know, they'd give you the tuna fish sandwich so you don't go hungry. Well, a number of the kids and a number of the parents started to complain. Oh, this is terrible. This is this is lunch shaming. This is awful because everybody knows who's getting the tuna fish sandwiches, etc., etc. So they were getting all this criticism for for that. All right. So they said, OK, look, we're, we're sensitive. We don't want to shame the kids. So here's what we're going to do. All right. We're. We're, we're not going to give kids tuna fish sandwiches anymore, all right? If you have overdue payments, we are going to continue to allow you to, to have the hot lunch. We'll continue to give you the lunch. We will continue to extend you credit, sort of like you're maxed out on your credit card, but it doesn't matter. We'll continue to allow you to charge things, okay? That seems to me it's a peculiar way to work, but that's how they're going to do it. But they say, here's the but. What's going to happen is there is going to be a penalty, so once you are 75 bucks in the hole, and keep keep in mind, I mean, you're, you're talking about these school lunches. So what are we talking about, two, three bucks a, a lunch or whatever? Once you are $75 in the hole, you are not going to be allowed to buy yearbooks. You're not going to be allowed to buy prom tickets. And you're not going to be allowed to participate in non-academic field trips and in some extracurricular activities. So they're saying you can continue to eat, and we're, we're going to give you the food, but there are going to be some consequences. No, no buying prom tickets. No, um, no extra, no field trips. No um, extracurricular activities. At least some limits, and you can't buy a yearbook. All right. So that, that's the way of trying to force people to pay. Well, once they did this, if you think the tuna fish sandwiches created a controversy, big story in the New York Times. You have a number of people, including some of the people who want to be the president of the United States, who are weighing in on this. Elizabeth Warren describes this policy as being, I am quoting now, cruel and punitive, cruel and and punitive to say that if you're 75 bucks in the hole, well, okay, you can't buy a yearbook and you're going to be limited from going to some extracurricular activities. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this cruel? Is this lunch shaming? Or is this just a reasonable response to kids and in particular parents who refuse to pay for their kids' lunch. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. See, one of the reasons Elizabeth Warren weighs in on this is one of her countless plans involves a belief that all students regardless of income, should get free food from their schools. So it doesn't matter if your kid, okay, you're a doctor, your wife, your spouse is a doctor, you have a net income of over half a million dollars. Well, okay, Elizabeth Warren believes that the government, honest to goodness, should pay for your child's lunch, presumably breakfast, and my guess would be dinner as well, but certainly breakfast and lunch. I'm not there. But, okay, is this lunch shaming parents that have the money to pay for their kids' lunches who don't? 
they fall into arrears, and then the school board says, okay, well, here's the problem. Once you get 75 bucks in the hole, so, you, you know, there's, there's lots of notice going around. You're not going to be allowed to go on field trips until you've satisfied this. You're not going to be allowed to go to prom. You're not going to be allowed to buy a yearbook. This is lunch shaming. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Kyle and Racine. Kyle, you're first. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Hi, Kyle. Is this lunch shaming? I don't believe it's lunch shaming whatsoever. Um, basically, I mean, if, if you can't afford to pay for your own lunch yet, you know, you want to you want to make it um, an issue that uh, things are taken away, such as like you're saying, yearbooks or uh, special yeah. extracurricular activities. Well, you know, it's time to pay up. I mean, there's so many different ways to go about doing this, but I mean, I'm, I have two kids of my own and. If they started saying, "Hey, we're not going to give you lunch anymore," well, that would open your eyes and yeah, you, you realize there's a bill to pay. You know, well, I mean? right, you, right. You you would think, and I guess see most responsible parent. Look, I understand how okay you can get busy and you can fall a little bit behind and so i i mean i I don't have a problem with kind of extending credit for a little bit to to the kids but what they're doing in this district they're letting your kid get 75 dollars in arrears and at two or three bucks a day you gotta really work to get 75 dollars in arrears i mean so this isn't like the the the, this is clearly parents who don't care about putting the money in and i think you have to have some consequence to, to inspire them to do the right thing by their child. Right, absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks to God. But I mean, I, I, this, this idea of, of its lunch shaming, well, no, I mean, look, I, I get, I am not sympathetic necessarily to the, the people that complain about, hey, once you got 20 bucks in the hole, that they give you a tuna fish sandwich. Well, okay, that that's the incentive then for mom and dad to get off their sad butts and to put money in the kid's account. But but all right, so the school district, they said, fine, okay, we'll, we'll make sure everybody can eat as much as they want. You know, they can continue to get the lunches, but we have to have some incentive to do it. Would you rather than withheld transcripts for college or something like that? Actually, I mean, this is... This is not parents who have an inability to pay. This is parents who don't care about this particular bill. And the truth is, the example I gave earlier, you got a credit card that you've maxed out your credit card. Well, okay, they're not going to let you keep charging. That's just the truth. There's going to be a consequence. Well, the school is going to allow you to keep getting your kid food, but they're going to say there's going to be other consequences. Nathan in Wauwatosa. Nathan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Nathan. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren thinks it's a human right to have an electric automobile, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but no, I think the parents just uh, procrastinate and the kids can't eat. But the kicker is, what is so bad about giving someone a tuna fish sandwich for free? especially when it's healthier than probably 99% of the stuff they'd eat otherwise. Well, well, right, but so, but, but they're not even doing that anymore. They're saying, okay, you know, forget the tuna fish sandwiches. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. We'll, we'll let you continue to eat, but at some point in time, once you fall 75 bucks in arrears, at that point in time, well, there's going to be some other consequences, including you can't go to prom, you can't buy the yearbook, et cetera, until you, until you settle up. And I guess I, I don't think that that's right. an unreasonable thing a, at all. Uh, you know, the schools that's, aren't credit agencies. Yeah, no, thanks to oh. call. 414-799-1620. I mean, it's, 
It's and again, I keep going back. These aren't parents who can't afford it. This is a suburban New Jersey school district. These are parents who don't care. It's not a priority for them. And again, we're talking 75 bucks in the hole. This isn't, oh, gee, I, I didn't get the money in this week. I mean, how many weeks do you have to go before your kid is 75 bucks in the hole? Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Sure. I think this lunch shaming idea is ridiculous. Parents need to be held accountable just as everybody else does. Um, my kids go to a charter school in Kenosha, and you're allowed to be $20 in the hole on your uh, classroom uh, lunch budget. Sure. And then you get a milk, graham crackers, and an applesauce. Yeah. Well, nobody wants that for lunch, but they don't go hungry. But the problem is, at some point, you've got to draw the line. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, you... You know, you, you have to, at some point in time, you gotta, there's gotta, apparently, there's gotta be a consequence to these parents who decide that they're not gonna put money in kids' accounts. You know, and some people are saying, well, you know, you're, I'm getting some texts, oh, that you're, you're punishing the kids for the sins of the parents. Well, okay, you're not punishing the kids, but you're saying there are responsibilities. And, you know, there's a lot of times that you don't go on field trips unless mom or dad signs a permission slip and sends a $10 check or something. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think it's a good thing to have these limits put in because otherwise people are just going to take advantage. I mean, that's kind of the whole problem with the accountability culture in our society right now. Right, and this idea that it's the government's responsibility. Now, thanks for the call. Here's a text. Jeff, I always thought it was wrong to withhold lunch or give an alternative lunch. However, I think saying you have to pay your bill before your child is allowed to go to a dance or buy a yearbook makes sense. Right, yeah, so for everybody out there who's afraid that, oh, my gosh, if the kid doesn't get the lunch, they're not going to be able to learn, and that's going to be terrible because mom and dad are are lazy or or, or just you know, don't care or whatever. Oh, okay, that's fine. Kids still continues to get paid courtesy of the taxpayers, despite the fact that mom and dad have the wherewithal to, again, either make the kid lunch or pay for the kid's lunch. But yeah, when it comes to some of these other extracurricular type of activities or going to a dance, now, if you're going to be in arrears, well, what you have to do is you have to pay for it. I don't think that's unreasonable. We are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Milwaukee Trolley, the hop, and the the coverage, for example, in a lot of the local media and the local newspaper is is fawning and uncritical, to say the least. Let me ask if things are really as rosy as people believe. Now, first of all, let me back into this. There's a big story today. St. Louis, um, which is, I think, probably a, a comparable city, St. Louis did a streetcar. Now, the difference is between St. Louis and Milwaukee is, is they tried to go retro. They, they created like old-fashioned streetcars as opposed to the quote-unquote sleek modern trolleys that we have around here. But but it's essentially the same concept. And 2.2 miles in downtown, just like the Milwaukee one is 2.1 miles. Big story today in the Wall Street Journal about how it, it appears that after about a year of operation – 
The St. Louis streetcar is, well, it's way in the hole. 700,000, they need $700,000 in local funds to continue operating this. Uh, the ridership, really low. And there's not a lot of local politicians who want to be throwing good money after bad. Now, what is one of the differences? Why is the ridership on the St. Louis streetcar less than on the Milwaukee trolley? Well, the the big factor is from the beginning in St. Louis, you had to pay a fare that you, you had to charge for this. Now, we all know in Milwaukee, thanks to the generosity of Pottawatomie, for the first year, the rides were free. Now, one of the things that is almost never talked about in the coverage. Now, all the fawning coverage says, well, the the ridership of of the streetcar, it it exceeds what the the estimates were back when they first came out. I mean, back, you know, the the estimates back in 2001, when we, 2011, we talked about this, they estimated that it would have 1,800 rides daily, and we've exceeded that most months. Well, okay, here's the big asterisk. That 1,800 number assumed that people were paying for it. It did not assume that it was free. And one of the things that I think they found with most streetcar experiences, not all, but most, is if you start charging people, even a nominal amount, a dollar, what's going to happen is the ridership is going to bottom out, which is why in Milwaukee, I think this was kind of a scam all along. I don't believe they ever intended Despite what they said, I don't think they ever intended to charge people to ride the trolley. Evidence of that is there's no, they never even ordered the stuff that you would need to collect fares. I mean, they, they don't, even if they wanted tomorrow to start charging, which they don't, but even if they wanted to do that, they wouldn't be able to. So in St. Louis, they weren't able to come up with a sponsor to underwrite the cost, and the thing has never taken off. It's also one of the things that scares the people who are in government, who are in favor of this trolley, it scares the heck out of them because they know that if they start charging, well, then the ridership is going to just absolutely fall off a cliff, which is why, you know, they're, they're trying to come up with alternatives. And at least so far, I mean, give credit to the Potawatomi, they paid for a year, but, you know, they're not going to do it forever. And so sooner or later, unless you can come up with big corporate sponsorships to underwrite this, what's going to happen is you're going to have to start expecting, just like in St. Louis, the taxpayers to start picking up the tab. So whenever you hear these numbers about, oh, it's exceeding expectations, well, only because it's free. Only because it's free. But it has been going for a year. Um, let's see. The, the big, not to, and not surprisingly, the, the biggest month was uh, July. And that's where you had, like, the festivals that were going on. And you had Bastille Days and stuff. And they averaged about 3,300-plus rides, a, a, you know, a day, which, good number. Again, the estimate believing they were charged would be 1,800. Uh, then it, it started to drop off. 
August, it dropped from 3,300 rides plus rides in July, 2,500, almost 2,600 rides in August. September, it dropped to a little over 2,200 rides. And the guess, my guess is October is going to be less, and November is going to be less than that, and December is going to be less than that, and January and February are going to be less than that. And that, again, is with free ridership. My guess is it'll start to pick up perhaps a little bit, you know, in March. And then if it's still operating next year, you know, you'll see the numbers again spike up in the, the summertime, which to me is is perfectly reasonable and perhaps more of a justification for like a rubber tire trolley system where you can add additional trolleys when the ridership is going to be large. But in any event, you know, that's the number. Everybody is touting the hop as this huge, huge success. Look, we're exceeding our ridership numbers. But again, only at least in my opinion, because it's free. And if you started charging, that would be a different thing. And the reality is, Unless you can come up with some other major sponsors to continue funding this, it's not going to continue to be free. And once they have to start charging or dipping into other forms of of revenue, like, hey, we're taking money out of general operating costs, so, you know, we're trading 20 police officers for rides on the hop. Okay, it's a different dynamic. All right, it's been in operation for a year. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is what I want to discuss with you. There are some streetcar operations in the country, Portland being one, that have been extremely successful. There have been lots of others that have been huge flops. We've now had the hop for a year. Ridership beats expectations, but as I say, it's because it's been free. If it was, if you had to pay a dime for it or 50 cents or a dollar, my guess is the ridership would be dramatically lower. And everybody knows that. Okay, here is my question. You've got the 2.1 mile streetcar line built. Proposals to expand it at the cost of tens of millions of dollars are on hold. Five years from now, are we going to still have a Milwaukee streetcar and what will it look like? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will it continue to be the 2.1-mile yuppie people mover that it is right now that takes people to the bus depot and to bars? Will it be by then expanded at a cost of tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to other places throughout the city? Or will it be history? Five years from now, 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Okay, anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the operation of the, the downtown trolley, the, the hop. The, the numbers above expectations, but declining in the colder weather. The expectations, though, were set based on the belief that people would be paying. Of course, you haven't had to pay. Um, if they start charging, they all recognize that the bottom is going to fall out of the ridership numbers. And, of course, the mayor's office doesn't want that to happen. The people that support this don't want that to happen. But that means they've got to come up with alternative funding sources. Maybe they can do it. Otherwise, you know, they're going to have to dip into city revenues to keep it going. Five years from now, what's the streetcar system in this city going to look like? Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're first. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, Yeah, I mean, the media is out there saying, you know, they don't let you know that uh, 
expectations were based on paying. And I had a feeling from the beginning, the way that the mayor pushed this through, uh, and it was like he was the only one for it, it seemed at the time. Mm-hmm. That now it seems that once they're going to start to pay, uh, then no one's going to ride it. And it's going to be a waste of taxpayer money to maintain the thing. And what? then he wants to try and make this a legacy thing or whatever, and then try and get more track in for the DNC. And then once the DNC is gone, you're going to have all that extra waste because no one's going to ride it. Well, I mean, let's face it. I mean, what the mayor wants to do is the mayor envisions streetcar tracks all over all over the city. I mean, he wants to run it to Pfizer Forum. He wants to, the plan is to try to run it to the lakefront. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. You know, presumably sure. up to Marquette, the near south side, the near north side. Well, okay, to, to, caught, to do that, you're talking about hundred tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. And I guess the question becomes, is is that really the best use of hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. even assuming the feds come up with the dough? Sure, Jeff. I got another thing for comparison. Do you recall when Scott Walker had the opportunity to get, I don't know how many millions of dollars to have a fast rail go from Milwaukee to Madison? I do. And he could have took that money and looked at it as a something that he would – accomplish but he saw that it wasn't in the best interest and now you look at we've got you know 70 mile an hour speed limits going out there so it would have been a waste to maintain a high speed rail going out there. right or thanks or actually thanks to call or even actually not a, a not so high speed rail line it's not like it was it was never going to be like a bullet train like they have lined up in in Europe where you can go from i don't know Paris to Nice in like no time at all I, if if i were to answer this question what, what What is this going to look like? My guess is that once Tom Barrett leaves office, whether it's after this election in April or four years from now, once the, the – and I think you're absolutely correct that this is right or wrong, this is his legacy, this is what he wants to be remembered for. Once he leaves office, my guess is the next mayor – and without the the pressure of that mayor, a lot of members of the Common Council, I think they're going to look at this and they're going to really question, are we throwing good money after bad? The only way, it seems to me, to keep up ridership is to really is to build. I mean, that that's just the honest answer. Right now, this thing goes nowhere. It goes from the Near East Side down to the bus depot, period. That, that That's it. It takes you nowhere. The only way to build up ridership would be to say, okay, we are going to run it all over the city. But again, to do that, it's going to cost you hundreds of millions of dollars. And at the same time, you are cannibalizing the bus service when you do that because that's where, you know, the, the buses tight run. And the other reality is that, you know, in, it's, it's always going to be dependent on, on the elements so that in the winter, you're going to see free or at a cost, you're going to see the numbers go down dramatically, which is why, to me, the whole thing never made any sense. I mean, again, during the summer months when there's more need, you want to get down to the lakefront to go to Summerfest or the ethnic festivals. You want to go to Bastille Days. Well, okay, that makes sense to bring out the rubber tile trolleys and and run them every 10 minutes and get people on them and transport them on the street instead of tearing up the streets so it's almost impossible to drive and or park on a lot of major streets now in the city of Milwaukee and you've got a streetcar that sometimes it has people on it but a lot of times it doesn't have anybody on it all it's doing is moving air what is the streetcar system going to look like in five years 
Don't know because it depends on how long Tom Barrett hangs around. What is it going to look like three years after Tom Barrett leaves office? My guess is it is going to be a gigantic, expensive white elephant because, candidly, the dynamics of of a trolley or a streetcar or whatever that might make it work in an area like Portland, for example, where you have incredible congestion and it's impossible to drive and park. Okay, that's not the city of Milwaukee. This, to me, it's a yuppie people mover. I understand it's a bright, shiny new toy. I understand that you look at some of these numbers and say, hey, people are riding it. But, but that's all squirrel. That's all it is. Because once you start charging for this, you're going to see a dramatic change. And sooner or later, even the powers that be are going to recognize that. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Well, you know, before we move away from the the topic of the the streetcar, it's kind of interesting around here how the whole streetcar has been part of this giant, really, house of cards that is beginning to, to fall apart. And... Part of it goes back to the, this lakefront project that they're trying to do called the Couture. This is Lincoln Memorial Drive and Michigan. When I used to practice law downtown, it was a parking lot. You know, and only only the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County would take prime near lakefront access, you know, right across from the Summerfest grounds and use it for a parking lot. All right. I always thought that was the dumbest damn thing in the world. But, but then – the county topped it because they decided, you're right, a surface parking lot for this space makes no sense. So let's build a bus depot on it. Yes, a bus depot. So they build this bus depot. All right. And then people start to realize that it makes no sense to have a bus depot there. So this is the site where they want to build this, this long stalled couture giant, you know, high rise that's going to have residential, it's going to have uh, commercial, might even have some retail. All right, so the deal is to make this happen, the county takes the developers, bear it low, and it gives them this sweetheart deal. It, it sells them property that's worth millions of dollars for like 500000 Okay, so they, they, they give it to them. The city comes in, and the city says, okay, we're going to give you all these incentives as, as well. So they tear down the bus depot. Well, the place is still a vacant lot because the developers can't come up with the money to even secure a loan from the federal government. They, they, you know, the federal government issues loan guarantees where they'll say, okay, you know, we'll, you go ahead with a project and we'll guarantee up to, you know, X million. In this case, it's 60 million. But before we do that, you have to show some ability to get this off the ground. And despite the fact that, you know, they've had all these sweetheart deals, what's happening is the developers can't come up with $20 million in private investors in order to satisfy the amount they've got to come up with to get these loan guarantees. In other words, the private sector doesn't want to touch this with your hands. And that tells you something. So this thing has been stalled, and it's been stalled. Chris Abley says, well, I still have faith in developers. The mayor says, I still have faith in developers. Even some people in the Common Council now are saying, well, this is, you know, we probably have to move on because this is a problem. It's even more of a problem, and this is where the hop comes in, for the county, because the county, uh, again, gave away this land where the bus depot is for almost nothing, and the bus depot was built with federal funds. So the county is on the hook to pay like $14 billion back to the federal government unless 
this spot continues to be used for transit. So the idea was be would be, okay, we're going to build the couture, we're going to extend the hop down to here, and then the county won't have to pay the feds back because it's still being used for transit. Well, the problem is... Okay, uh, the building is still just a vacant lot. There's no progress being made, which means, okay, the county taxpayers are going to be on the hook for millions of dollars back to the federal government because it's not being used for transit. This thing is an incredible mess. And the fact that the mayor and the outgoing county executive seem to be, again, you know, the see no evil, hear no evil, um, speak no evil, not seeing that there is a problem going on here. I, I think it's very, very concerning, and that's another thing. Well, we don't want to rock the boat because, you know, we don't want to disturb the plans for the streetcar. Well, okay, it's a vacant lot right now. They can't get financing. They haven't been able to get financing. Nothing good is going to come of this. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric Bill said, you've been following this dead alligator story? Dead alligator story. Well, they they found last night a 3900 block of North Sherman Boulevard, which is 39th and Capitol. Mm -hmm. Again, Capitol Drive, where our studios are located, seems to be, you know, people getting killed by going through intersections or shootings. Now it's a dead alligator. They they got a call from like a loose animal call. Somebody apparently is like pulling into his alley. And smells this like terrible smell, and they go and they look, and there's this big alligator mm. that somebody has dumped in a box in the alley, and the police now it, it's it's you you can't have it's illegal to have alligators sure. in the city of Milwaukee, but um, somebody apparently had it. Now what they don't know is did they. Did they leave it in the alley and the thing froze to death? You know, because alligators, they they do not do well in this kind of climate. climate, Or did the alligator die on their premises and then they just dumped it and they pretty much, you know, given up hope that they're going to be able to find out who did it. But I I keep reading this and it's just, what kind of person does, first of all, what kind of person has an alligator? But I mean, as somebody who is a, a pet lover, and I understand alligators aren't, aren't the traditional pets, I mean, but it still is an animal. Who, right. who dumps an alligator, you know, in an alley on, you know, 3900, the 3900 block of Capitol Drive? Seriously. Well, it's interesting how you can get your hands on these. I mean, you can order them. I think you can even get them at flea markets sometimes, like little baby ones, and then they. But this is not a little baby one. Yeah, they get bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you want to take it to a zoo or call animal control or something. But I just, I, I just, I think the thing that's bothering me again, it's just. I would hate to think if the animal suffered, you know right, what I mean? Right. I mean, is this, okay, well, you know, we had the alligator outside or something, and the alligator froze to death, so here we're just going to dump it in right. an alley. I mean, who uh, does this kind uh, of stuff? I mean, and, and again, I, I pre- the police are never going to find out who who is responsible for this because it's illegal to have them, and nobody's going to come forward to, to say that. But again, it's just... I tell you, it's it's just it's always something. I guess on the mean streets of Milwaukee, you never. And I, I can you imagine being that guy? You know, you're, you're you're getting out of your car and you're going, God, there's something that just smells awful. And you go over it, and it's an what? alligator in a box. Well, yeah. well, that's what he said. The guy said he called the police because he didn't know if it's dead or alive sure. or whatever. No, yeah. I mean it would. I've seen alligators on golf courses in Florida, and they're 
you know, but at least you expect them in Florida, and it's kind of it, it's even that is kind of freaky, you know. Right. It's like okay, I, you know, here, I, why don't we just pick up and move to the next hole? There, <laughs> yeah, that's you know? or something. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. No, I don't. You know, it's it's 160 yards to carry the green, but there's three alligators between there. <laughs> I think I, I, I let's just hmm. move up to the number 17 T. That's just what I'm saying. But again, another story out of Milwaukee. Uh, speaking of Milwaukee. All right, the Common Council, very dangerous times. Common Council was in session. We, we all know the mayor has come up with the bright idea of millions of dollars for the trolley and not as much for police. The mayor's idea is he wants to cut 60 police positions unless he gets approval from the state legislature to go ahead and have a referendum um, allowing an increase in the sales tax and unless the voters of Milwaukee County sign off on that. This affects the city of Milwaukee because if there was a countywide referendum, the city would get some of the dough. Most observers think that that's, that's not going to happen. And so now it's kind of a game of chicken. Does Mayor Barrett really want 60 police positions to go away, assuming that there's not an influx of money? Well, the Common Council, had, the Budget Committee had a meeting today, and a couple aldermen introduced amendments to the mayor's budget that would restore funding for a number of these positions. Not all of them, but but a number of them. Say, okay, instead of 60, we'll, we'll bring it to 30. Those amendments failed. So right now, the budget that is moving through the Common Council tracks Tom Barrett of getting rid of 60 police positions. So that's kind of the lead-in. So we have no money for 60 cops. But here is something that came through the Budget Committee today. There is a proposal to take taxpayer dollars, and actually the way this is going to be funded is money that was committed to the police department to help upgrade their computer system. There are at least a handful of aldermen that want to take $100,000 in taxpayer money and fund a program which would provide direct cash payments to up to 50 families. What this would do is it would identify residents living in neighborhoods where the the average income is below the city average. And then what it would do is it would provide those families with $500 a month that they could use as they see fit, just, just a cash payout. You know, you don't have to... Don't have to use it for health care. Don't have to use it for education. Don't have to use it for food. We're just going to give you $500 a piece. And they want to set aside $100,000 as a pilot program. The $100,000 would come, again, from taking it away from the police department and this money that had been set aside to upgrade their computer systems. The model is based off of something from they're doing in Stockton, California, which is where 125 families just get, get payouts. The difference, the difference between here and Stockton, California, is in Stockton, California, the money is coming from a privately funded group that came up and said, we're going to give you the money for this. We don't expect the taxpayers to be paying for this. 
And uh, again, you know, some aldermen, for example, that I don't particularly agree with on oftentimes, they're even raising concerns. Like Michael Murphy, the alderman, he says, look, okay, I'm willing to look at this idea, but using property tax dollars is something I don't support. We're basically taxing the poor to help pay the poor. So in other words, yeah, if, if you're in one of these neighborhoods or one of these families, we're going to give you 500 bucks. But of course, we're going to have to take it from other people who might be just as poor because, you know, we're going to take your tax dollars and we're going to do that. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We already have a number of programs. We've got more programs than you can shake a stick at, which are designed to assist the least fortunate economically among us. But this is the next step. 500 bucks, no questions asked, to X number of families. Good idea, bad idea. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this part of being a compassionate, caring society? Or is this just a return to the old days of let's create this giant welfare state where we try to build dependency from the government, dependency on the government among economically disadvantaged people? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with a text. Jeff, at least with food stamps, you know where the money is going. But giving people $500 in cash is simply going to result in drug dealers getting paid. Well, not not all, but but yes, if you just give handouts to people, here's $500 a month. Do what you want with it. Some people are going to do responsible stuff. Other people are not going to do responsible stuff. But really, it, it is such an interesting thing that you have... You know, you're going to take from poor taxpayers to give cash to other poor taxpayers. Huh. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, here's something else to think about. Uh, This is another reason why uh, Wisconsin taxpayers don't want to give any more money to Milwaukee. It's another instance of Milwaukee spending money in really crazy, stupid, insane ways. Well, let me ask you this, Joe. Aren't, aren't, don't you care about humanity? I mean, you know, think if, if we just suddenly, I mean, if you, if you gave some of these poor households like $6,000 in somebody else's money, wouldn't that better benefit their life? Don't you care about those folks? I care about the people who's, uh, who are losing that money and it's being taken out of their pockets to give to other people to spend any way they want yeah. without any controls. And this is a pilot program, so this thing is going to get bigger down the yes. road. Why should Wisconsin taxpayers subsidize this kind of stupidity? In addition, not just the trolley, but this nine, the $9 million loan that they gave to some developer with a really bad financial history to build a luxury restaurant uh, right. hotel. You're, you're talking about at the old Sears place on like North the, Fond du Lac and North Avenue. Yep. North Avenue. Yep. Who in their right mind is going to stay in a, in a location that is just got the worst crime record in, in this in the city's history well to, to your point if you were trying to pick a lo- a worse location to build a, a luxury hotel I don't think you could be do better than that which is why nobody in the private sector wants to come up and give any money for it yeah thanks to call for and no I'm with you Wisconsin the state of Wisconsin taxpayers should subsidize that no thank, thank and I, I understand the, these are the types of things that I understand some people in Milwaukee say well you know we we don't there's a the state is having this this war on us 
us and, and why are they cutting off funds and why aren't they giving us more of the shared revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And even though I'm one of these guys who thinks, for example, Milwaukee County, if they want to have a sales tax referendum, people in Milwaukee County should have a chance to vote for it. I think that they should. But th- this is the flip side of that, that you have, you know, this type of spending. Jim in Brookfield. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, first of all, I'm thinking about staying warm. <laughs> Second of all, sir, I'm a, I'm, I guess you could call me a moderate Democrat. And I think that doing this, giving these people, you know, the $500, I think it's ridiculous. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no strings attached. Just, just here's $500, spend it as you see fit. I think the IHOP, I think that's ridiculous too. I have relatives down in um, Whitefish Bay, Shorewood. I'm getting more and more afraid to drive down there. Get rid of the IHOP. Get rid of the $500 thing. Let's get more police on the job. Well, that is, I mean, thank, see, that, that it, I mean, it does show you where, where the city of Milwaukee is now. Okay, we're going to cut 30 police positions. We're not going to fill 30 police spots, but we're going to be able to come up with $100,000 to give out in $500 increments. And again, this program out in Stockton, California, you can argue whether or not it's a good program, but at least in that case, it's private money. Somebody, you know, you had some wealthy people that came up and said, okay, we, we want to do this and try it. Well, if, if that was going on, if it wasn't taxpayer dollars, you, you can argue whether it's good policy or not, but but it's it's not public money that's being involved. This is money that you are taking from something else, and you are you know again you're, you're putting people on on the dole. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark on the north side. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks, uh, Jeff. Sure. Show is always long time listener. You know, I always call into you. Here's my point of view, real quick on it. I don't see a problem with it. Uh, I've lived here all my life for fifty years, and. So to your last caller, the point as far as the Sears building and that, we've subsidized uh, the county stadium over there, uh, Miller Park. We've subsidized corporations all the time. Foxconn, which is a failure, which is a con. So to make that clear to the public, we, we, we do all kind of stupid stuff with the money. And so you understand to the last caller, Milwaukee supplies the rest of the state with the income. So I do not have a problem with our dollars going to $500 to these families that could use it. And look what we're doing for tent cities. Barbecues, we're doing this. We're making sure all these people are taken care of. Come on. We supply, Milwaukee County supplies the rest of the state with the revenue, what they need to survive. So you need to do the homework, the people on your station, as far as understanding. We supply the state. Madison does not okay, well, th- but this is, this. just so you understand, we're talking about money that's going to come from the Milwaukee budget. They're going to take it away from, in this case, you know, the, the police and upgrading their computer that, systems. That, that's fine. That, that's, that's fine, fine. with they, you. They okay. should do that. That All is correct. Right. Okay. I, I, agree. I, I, I agree with that because the positions that they have with the sit-down, the administrative positions, uh, Jeff, it, those positions should be eliminated, and it's going to be attrition over time that these positions will be eliminated. So more policing is not going to make a difference. And so I do totally, I would support that 100%, and, and, and that should not be an issue. Hey, okay. thanks. Oh, thanks. Okay, well, and, and, and 
I disagree, but that's okay. You know, I mean, this is what the aldermen are going to be deciding, you know, where the priorities are. And I guess I just look at what's going on in the city of Milwaukee now, and I look at, you know, the, the crime rate. I look at the fact that, you know, the story we did yesterday, and if, if you missed it, it was actually, I, I thought, a pretty interesting piece. Um, that one of the websites, Urban Milwaukee, you know, they had a piece up talking about the number of traffic tickets that they wrote, have written for the first nine months of this year in the city of Milwaukee as measured by tickets that, that get filed in, in municipal court. They compared it to last year. It's down 46%. I, I did not misspeak. It's down almost in half. Now, reckless driving, bad driving, traffic violations, I, I'm sorry, it has not decreased you know, 50% between 2018 and 2019. But but that's what's going on here. And I think part of it is this just concentrated effort of we're, we're not going to spend police resources and trying to pull people over for traffic offenses, etc., because we have limited resources. To me, if anything, you should be putting more money into the cops into trying to be aggressive, into broken windows policing in an effort to try to get control of the stuff that's going on. So we don't have stories like last Thursday and Friday with these idiots who blow through a red light and hit and kill a six and a four year old boy, two, six and a four year old girl as they're walking through the intersection. All right. Am I, am I cruel? Am I not compassionate? I don't think so. But just taking taxpayer dollars and handing it to people in $500 increments with saying, we don't care how you're doing this, we don't care what you do with it, to me, it is the height of insanity. I mean, all right, if, if you had a friend that came to you and said, hey, I, I, I want to borrow $5,000, what would the first thing you would say to them? You would say, okay, well, what do you need to use it for? What, what are you going to do with this? And if they said, well, I'm on the verge of getting kicked out of my house, I, I need to make back payments so I can be current, Maybe you say yes. If they say, well, I don't know. I was thinking uh, maybe, you know, I wanted to spend some stuff on some beer and I want to take my kids out to some nice dinners and stuff. You would say, I'm not giving you the five grand. Well, we're just going to be handing people money without any expectation at all. Huh. How's that going to work out? I'm reading our text, Melissa. I just said, I'm listening to Jeff's show. would really like to know what the last caller was smoking. He thinks it's a great idea to give out $500 to anyone who qualifies as opposed to staffing police positions? Huh. Well, I, I this is what you have debates for because I, you, maybe it's fair to say that, but there are a number of members of the Milwaukee Common Council who, by the way, agree with this particular proposal. Here, we're going to give you $500. Go spend it however you want. And where are we getting the money? Well, we're getting it from the police. Hmm. Makes you want to buy a place in Milwaukee, doesn't it? A number of people are sending texts or calling. What's this Veterans Day thing that you got going on tomorrow? Well, Veterans Day, of course, is a week from Monday. But tomorrow, I am going to be participating in something that's called Operation Honor. It is put on by the city of Waukesha. I believe this is the eighth year they've done this, and, and I've been the MC for many of the years, not all of them. It is tomorrow afternoon at the Schutze Recreation Center. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, 1120 Baxter Street, right in the heart of downtown Waukesha. 
Doors open at 3.30. The program begins at 4.30. I'll be the MC. The mayor of Waukesha will be there. We've got a keynote speaker, Major General uh, Donald Dunbar. I think he's the former head of the Wisconsin National Guard, as I recall. I've met him on multiple occasions. The 484th Army Band is going to be there. They are going to be performing medley of patriotic songs, etc. This is free. It is open to the public. Um, after the program, and the program typically takes 30 to 45 minutes, there will be a free chili dinner to all in attendance. It's a way the city of Waukesha has of, of saying thank you to veterans. Um, they, they encourage you, if you are a veteran, come. If you um, know a veteran, bring the veteran down to this. Um, it's grown every year. It's a wonderful thing. And again, uh, tomorrow afternoon, 1120 Baxter Street at the Schutze Recreation Center. Doors open at 3.30. Program begins at 4.30. There's the program. Then afterwards, there's the band performance. And then there's the chili dinner. Can't go wrong. So hope to see you out there tomorrow afternoon. One of the other stories that I am, am watching, and I, it's something we've talked about on a couple occasions. My guess is today uh, the, the district attorney's office will in all likelihood in Milwaukee County be issuing charges in connection with the death of the four- and the six-year-old girl last Thursday crossing the, the intersection. There is a 19-year-old who is in custody, and uh, his name is Detuan Robinson. Um, he is the suspect, and he's right now being held on three-quarters of a million dollars bail. Normally, the way the law works is you have to be officially charged in a criminal complaint within 72 hours if you're going to be held. Um, he is still being held. He is in custody. There was a hearing on Wednesday, and the court commissioner gave the prosecution additional time, an additional 72 hours to complete their investigation and so uh, and, and issue charges. So the, the DA's office is, is working under this time crunch. Again, hit and run cases are, are difficult um, because you know people don't stick around on, on the scene. A lot of times they're built on circumstantial evidence. One of the developments is apparently, at, at the scene of this crime, when whoever it was blew through this red light, hit and killed these two children, they also banged into another car. And there's a videotape on that. The police put out a request saying, hey, if, if, if you got hit, if, if somebody hit you, if you're this person that got hit by the car that drove off, we want to talk to you. And apparently that that person or the driver, they have now come forward to theoretically offer evidence. In addition, they're, they're scrutinizing GPS records from cell phones and things like that. I, I've been watching this closely because, again, you, you got two kids that are dead because of the irresponsible criminal behavior, whether it's this person or somebody else. So I, I think my, my sense is the charges will be coming out today before the close of business. I mean, I guess they could file them tomorrow morning, but the DA's office is kind of running out of time. And there's nothing that says that once they issue charges, they, they can't they, they can't supplement those charges, or a criminal complaint doesn't necessarily contain all the evidence you have. There's nothing that says that once you issue the criminal charges, that means you have to stop the investigation. But at least right now, they're work, they obviously have the person that they believe was the driver of the automobile, and they're working, I think, feverishly to try to put the case together. I, I keep checking to see if the criminal complaint has come out yet. As of a few minutes ago, I don't believe it had, but I would not be surprised if it comes out later today. And uh, again, 
Whoever was responsible for that, I, I've said this before, this is one of the reasons that I, I would I would never make it as a judge because people would get offended. But I'm telling you, if if in fact, whoever it was, whether it's this guy or somebody else, you blow through a red light, you hit and kill two small children, you drive off knowing that you've hit and killed two small children, and then you try to conceal the evidence by painting your car or hiding it or whatever, you know, you get convicted in my courtroom. I don't know what the maximum sentence is going to be, but I tell you, if it was me as the judge, this person would get every day possible. So I'm continuing to watch that. My guess is sometime this afternoon that criminal complaint will come out. All right, when we come back, goodbye, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Stick around. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. Yesterday, President Trump, now bear with me here for a minute, because there is a larger point to be had. President Trump is has been a New York resident all his life. He announced yesterday that he was changing his permanent residence from New York State to Florida. And that, that got a lot of it. I, I have in my hand, literally... One, two, three, four, five, six different stories. And I stopped printing them out after six. Um, talking about, you know, this Washington Post headline Trump is changing his residence from New York City to Florida. New Yorkers say good riddance, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's the basic thing. Uh, you know, the governor of New York saying, don't let the you know door hit you on the way out. Okay. And, you know, who cares on the one hand, who cares about, you know, where, where Donald Trump decides to live? There is a larger point, and there's one that that has some relevance to us here in Wisconsin. One of the things that they have been noticing over the last several years is that there has been an exodus of residents, both retirees and high-income earners. They have been leaving high-tax states. Um, that they call them salt, you know, state and local tax, high tax states like New York, and they have been going to lower tax states. For example, um, last year, last year, okay, um, Jordan, would you like to guess what state had the most movers of all the different fifty states, and that would be people moving into that state? Would you like to guess? Arizona. Arizona. No, but but close. I get it. No, it's Florida. Um, Florida received more movers than any state last year. New York State. Matter of fact, New York State was a pipeline to Florida. 63,000 people from New York left New York and went to Florida. Now, why are they doing this? Well, okay, part of it is the weather. Understood. Part of it is the weather. I mean, it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We've got inches of snow on the ground. It's 30 degrees or whatever, and it's it's only November 1st, and you know it's going to be like this for months. Gee, would you rather live here or live where it's going to be 80 or 85 degrees for the winter? So weather is one thing. But another factor they are finding is that it it's, it's taxes. In the case of, for example, New York, they have – they have an 8% state income tax, 8%. Florida has none. So 
We don't know exactly, for example, what President Trump's earnings are because he won't release his tax returns. But eight percent of whatever it is is probably a pretty darn big number. Okay, whatever that number might be, by moving to Florida, you you avoid that. Now I understand you move to Florida, you you end up paying for some stuff in other different ways, but you, know, you avoid the taxes. Now why why do we talk about President Trump? Well, okay, because. There, there is this principle that I think plays in for a lot of people. I was, I, and this is the honest to goodness truth, in the last month, I have had conversations with three separate f- couples talking about, hey, you know, what, what are you going to do when you retire? And these are couples that are either close to retirement or just in retirement. And they are, in all cases, people who have been long-term residents of the state of Wisconsin. Um, two couples, I think, you know, been in Wisconsin their whole life. One, you know, came here 20-some years ago. And my question is, you know, what are you going to do when you stop working? And all of those, everybody says to me, well, first thing we're doing is we are, we're going to relocate to either in one case, Tennessee, in two other cases, Florida. You could make Arizona that too, but one case was Tennessee and one case was Florida. And I said, well, permanently, are you leaving? Oh, no, we're not. we got our families here. we got our friends, but we are going to you know, relocate, and our plan is we're going to spend at least six months and one day in Florida, in Tennessee or whatever. And, of course, why do they say that? It's because, okay, you become a Tennessee resident. You become a Florida resident, and you, know, you don't have the, the state tax burden. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that there are some elected officials who don't think that this that this matters, who don't think that tax policy, especially when it comes to retirees, that, that it doesn't drive living decisions. And, and my response is, I think that's nuts. Now, look, I, I understand that there's some people who, you know, don't have the wherewithal to be able to, like, buy a second house or whatever. So they've got to make the decision, do I want to stay in Wisconsin, pay the high taxes, and just, just suck it up? Or um, if I can't afford two places, do I want to move somewhere else with the idea that I'll come back three or four times a year to visit the kids? I have a lot of people who I know personally who are kind of going through this, and almost everybody is coming up with the conclusion that they're they're not staying here. Part of it is the weather, and another part of it is, you know, they just want to get out from under the taxes. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us discuss. All right, as you near retirement, do you think at some point in time, you would end up making a decision to leave Wisconsin. And if so, why? Is it taxes? Is it the weather? Is it something else? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Me? I mean, Wisconsin's home. I've got roots. I, I can't imagine that we would ever make the decision to leave permanently. Under the right circumstances, could I see the decision to leave for six months and one day? Yeah, I could. How about you? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. I mean, I'm always amazed at how many teachers leave 
when they retire, you know, leave Wisconsin? And is it because they don't like Wisconsin? No. Well, first of all, I think part of it is because the, the weather gets a little bit tedious. But but also, it's because money goes a lot farther other places where you don't have these, these onerous tax rates. Taxes matter. Joe in Caledonia. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Well, hi, Jeff. Hi, How Joe. are you today? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay. Is there going to be a time, you think, when you leave Wisconsin? Um, I've, I retired uh, six years ago. My wife is ready to retire now, and we're moving to Florida. Okay. Tell me why. What's, what's motivating you? Uh, biggest thing is taxes. Okay. All I've got to do is leave Wisconsin, go into Florida, and I've already earned $35,000 just <laughs> in taxes alone. Yeah, and that, that's that's a lot of dough. Do you think you're going to be? Lot, yes. Do you think you're you're, you're going to be one of those people that like have have places here and always come back, or is you think this is going to be a permanent move? Uh, it's going to be a permanent move. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got six kids, eleven grandchildren. Getting between Florida and back to Wisconsin is relatively easy. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, airfare is relatively inexpensive. Right. Um, Plus One of the, our sons has moved out there two years ago. Right. Um, he knows the area. We're well versed in what's available down there. Right. Plus, the kids, uh, the kids who are still living here, are going to be delighted to have a place to go visit mom and dad or grandma and grandpa when it, it's January and it's ten degrees below zero. Um, I'm quite a few of them. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Well, uh, best of luck, Joe. Remember, you can listen to us. You know, just because even if you do go ahead and move, you can still listen to us on the stream. We're there everywhere. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. John and Racine. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, I'm partially retired. Okay. I've got a place in Florida. I've got it's an apartment in Florida, house in Racine. Right. And I bounce back and forth every month. Even during the summer. Okay. It's um, my, the primary reason I do it is look out the window. Yeah, weather. Weather. And I'm on the intercoastal waterway, so even during the summer, I'm a mile from the Atlantic. I get a great ocean breeze. It's delightful during the summer as well. Are you a Wisconsin resident or are you a Florida resident? I'm a Wisconsin resident. Okay. Do you see that changing at some point in time? It could. Mm-hmm. I, I still work part time. I've got friends and family here, but now I've got friends in Florida too. I've been doing this for. I've been going to the same area for nine years. I've had the place for three. Right. Um, so right. I've, I have ties to both places. Yep. It, uh, if I did it, it wouldn't be because of the taxes primarily. It'd be because of the weather. Got it. Now that, well, and that I mean, thanks. I'm seeing that's that that is the challenge that that. That's the challenge that a state like Wisconsin faces, which is how do you keep you when you're when you're fighting the weather? How do you keep your retirees and, and you know, of, of pretty much any income level? How do you keep your retirees? And then how do you keep? I don't know, some of your high-income earner retirees who have have choices, who have that option of, of where you can go. Uh, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in Oconomowoc. Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Do you see a time when you might leave Wisconsin? Absolutely. Um, I, I, as I was telling, uh, telling your uh, screener, I'm uh, actually a CPA, and I advise my clients. I'm, I'm actually 61 myself, but I advise my clients when they're going to do it, they got to go all in. You know, make it six months in a day, 
Move your bank accounts. Move everything that you can. Move and change your address. If you own a property in Wisconsin, take the tax bill and set it to Florida. Go all the way in, right? Right. And, um, and that actually is a detriment to Wisconsin, too, because uh, the money is going to flow out of Wisconsin. Oh, oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's just, okay, so, so you're the CPA. You know, you sit down. You've got a fiduciary duty to your clients. My guess is you, you do the math for a lot of your clients, and it just comes back, and you say, hey, you moved to Florida, and you know what? You know, you've, like our last guy, he's, he's Thirty-five thousand bucks, you know, just 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 by changing his his uh, the the residency where he lives. Yeah, and 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 that's a high amount. Yeah, uh, you know, sure. But, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Even if you can save, you know, uh, Donald Trump eight uh, percent, or we're huh. we're more about six percent. But uh, yeah, um, uh, it's it's oh yeah. You, no. can, you can afford. Caroline, kick it and come back to Wisconsin every now and then. Right. No, exactly. I mean, again, so that's just, I mean, there's people out there who think it, it doesn't matter what we tax people. It doesn't have any effect. We're only going after the wealthy. Well, well no, tax policy makes a difference. And, and and candidly, we still haven't done a very good job of figuring that out in Wisconsin. Um, we, we're fighting the weather all the time. And I understand there's always going to be people who are just sick of winter, but wouldn't it be easier to put up with winter if you weren't getting hosed on taxes? Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I have just had a humbling experience. Uh, my, my regular producer, Gru, he's off on a well-deserved vacation. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, Jordan has been you know, filling in, doing a double shift and doing an outstanding job. And I, I went in during the break and he asked me, I'll get around to this in just a minute, but he, he asked me what what the pop culture corner was. And, and I, I told him and I said what the hook was. And then I started reciting performers, actors and actresses in this case that would, you know, is what motivated this. Uh-huh. And he's looking at me saying, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> who the, oh, I no. have no idea. You know, that's funny. I remember the first time someone, I had that experience with someone, right? So I said, oh my gosh, Elizabeth Taylor passed away. And someone goes, who's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor? Taylor? And I, I looked at them. I had never experienced that. I, no, it, it was, a, that it was years a, ago. It was a very, yeah. okay. Well, I mean, do you know, do you know who <laughs> Allie McGraw is? Yes. Okay. I right. I mean, Ali McGraw, yes. an actress, the, the, a, yeah. an actress yeah. who, in the seventies, there was a time she was as hot an actress. She starred in Love, Love Story. Story. Yep. yep. Um, she was the getaway. She was as hot uh, of an actress as you could possibly mm-hmm. be. So I, and I said, Ali McGraw, and he's like, no. And I said, yeah, <laughs> oh, actually, you know, she she ended up marrying Steve McQueen. He said, well, I kind of know who Steve McQueen is. I can't remember my parents. I might have said that. I'm like, okay, uh, Steve McQueen. There was a period the hottest, just the hottest actor on on the planet yeah. at, for years, and and then so I I, I said to. I said to Jordan, I said, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. What, what year were you born in? And he, you, you told me what? 1994. Oh! <laughs> 1994. Okay, and I'm, oh. I'm sitting there thinking, all right, I first started doing talk radio shows part-time in 1995. So I essentially started, th- this is my second career. I started my second career 
when you were born, oh. essentially. Don't feel bad, Jordan. I remember <laughs> when I first started in radio, I was 18 years old, and everybody just, I was always the youngest on every level. And <laughs> not anymore, though. <laughs> but it, you know what, though? I am the youngest employee at WTM. Are you really? Are you? Yeah, I believe right. that. Aside from the interns and stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm not well, counting yeah. them. Right, but okay. Like, right. Em- like regular work, regular know, workers. Got it. Correct. Well, that's, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually, it's kind of you on the You keep us fl- youthful. It, it right? is. Well, there's no question about that. It's, 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 it's kind of the flip side because yeah. it's funny how time passes monday this coming monday will actually the the it's it's tomorrow it's november 2nd but but monday will be the start of my 22nd year doing a show full-time on wtmj wow start of the 22nd year and i i always tell people i thought it was going to be i thought i'd do this for a year or two and figure out what i want to do when i grow up and, and I'm, here you are i'm still thinking yeah, of that you know right. what do you want to do but yeah it's and and i had done part-time at a station up the dial for a couple of years and i came over here part-time in like july of that year and then started full-time in november and it's been uh it's just been a wonderful ride but it's like okay i'm, I'm sitting there thinking okay he's he's 25 yeah, years yeah. old and we're starting the 22nd year of the show so you know what's really funny so uh, in 90, 97, I graduated high school and I started radio. <laughs> you're not radio. making, you're Sorry, not making not me make... feel any better here, Melissa. <laughs> no, just so, so understand. But this is, a, this is a cool little story. So in 97, I graduated high school and I started, uh, in radio. I, I tried it out. Someone mentioned, you might, well, you might like this. So I, I worked part time at a station and I remember writing a New Year's Eve goal for my life. And I still have it to this day. It was funny. My mom found it in a notebook at home and it said, I want to be the best radio broadcast. I can be da, oh, da, 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 cool. from like December 31st, 1997. You know what I mean? It was like this. And I thought about that. I was like, wow. And I found it the other day. And I thought, wow, that's so great that I'm still here and I'm still in it. So, it, it is, you know, the dream lives on. It, it, <laughs> right? it, 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 it's amazing. You know, we um, about a month, a couple months ago, maybe it's the summer, you know, we 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 moved I, when when I moved out of my house in Whitefish Bay, mm-hmm. I'd been there for thirty years. Got rid of a lot of stuff, but I, you know, there, there were some boxes that just kind of, you know, took and they ended up. I haven't looked through them, but they're in there. And my wife, Fran, comes up upstairs one day, and and says, and of course we we've known each other for forever. Um, and she comes up and says, I had no idea, really, what you used to. And what she had done is she had found a box. And the box had magazine articles and clippings mm-hmm. of of the years I spent in the U.S. Attorney's Office, where we were, you know, prosecuting big time. And that was drug like another life stuff, for you, a completely different life, and, and something that you know. It, but th- this is from the the eighties and the early nineties. But you know, we, there, there were all these we had all these big narcotics mm-hmm. cases and prosecutions. And she says, "I had no, I, she, I, yeah, I yeah. knew you were a lawyer and I knew you were a prosecutor, but I had no idea." And she's <laughs> reading like all these stories, and and then she says, I, "I'm also wondering." Are these people out? She's like, this isn't the Jeff I know now. I mean, I, I knew you were a federal, probably going to attorney's office right. and stuff, but I just had no I- idea. Yeah. And it's like a completely isn't different life. Isn't that amazing? Life. Yeah. It, it just, but it's a completely remarkable. different life from a, from a long time ago. So... All right, so congratulations, uh, Jordan. You have made me, go, Jordan. You, you made me feel old going into the <laughs> I weekend. I apologize for doing that. You know Never apologize don't, for don't being. Don't think it's just today you can do it. You can make him feel old every day, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you really wanted well, to. Well, again, when you start to do the math and you say Monday is the t- start of the twenty-second year on WTMJ full time, that's, that's um, amazing. Yeah. You, it's proving you can fool uh, some of the people all the time. <laughs> so, do you still remember your first show on WTMJ? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I, well, see, when I started here in the summer, see, I started because Charlie Sykes 
was going to again I was I was doing part time while I was practicing law at station up to dial and um they they called me because Charlie wanted to take a sabbatical because uh, he was writing two books and so he was he was going to leave and so um what happened is is they WTMJ offered me a job come in fill in for Charlie and then um I had a contract filling in for Charlie as a regular fill in and then doing a Saturday show so I was still like practicing law while this was going on and so I did that for a few months and then in November full-time gig opened up and and they offered me the job and the rest as they say is history but oh yeah I, I still remember I I remember Do you remember what your topics were no no, no not, that, okay. not that but I mean you know, I remember <laughs> I somewhere I used to have cassettes from some of the the old days including sure. when I, I filled in elsewhere and it's it's kind of for, for every once in a while, I get these emails saying, it's painful to listen to you. It's painful now. You should have heard me 25 <laughs> years ago. You know, That's funny. <laughs> that, that was I really painful. I had someone uh, email me just this morning. They said, you said I, my grammar was incorrect on something. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't get that many emails on corrections and stuff. But I was like, oh, really? Some of mine. I get them all no, the time. I was like, really? You're gonna oh, oh I, I, I get them all the time. You know, you, you, know you drop your G's or you know oh. that this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, that this is that or it's, you know, and, and, and most of the time they're, they're absolutely correct and yeah. I, I just kind of I kind of smile and say okay you know, well I, I'll try I'll, work, I'll try to I be like better I like to think I'm perfect all the time just kidding I, <laughs> in my head we, we do as well we? Melissa we, yeah, we do as well that never happens though alright let's take a quick break when we come back there's a new poll out, and I understand people don't believe polls, but this, I think there's a lot of merit to this one. I will explain why. Stick around. I admit the ongoing coverage and conversation about the impeachment of the president, I admit it wears me out, and that's just being honest. And I understand when, whenever we talk about it, and because it's such a big story and it's the dominant political story, we have to talk about it. But there, there is kind of a, a sameness to the discussion. And I, I confess that because I take the position that while a number of things I think the president did in this Ukraine call were, were inappropriate, I don't believe it rises to the level of being an impeachable offense. And, and I don't think anything's going to change that. Also, if we accept the premise that impeachment is a political act, and, and it is, uh, you're, you're, you're never, we're never going to remove the president. Democrats are going to vote in a partisan fashion to impeach him. That'll come up in the next month or two. There will then be a trial in the Senate. You're, you're never, you're never going to get two thirds of the Senate to vote to remove the president. So we will have spent, we will spend the next four, five, six months and, and people will get agitated on both sides of the issues. And, and we're going to be right where we were you know, today or where we were three or six months ago. That is just the reality. And, and whenever I say that, I understand it's frustrating to some people. I always get the, oh, you, don't you realize Trump is just a crook? He's the Antichrist. You know, he's awful. He's reduced the standards of the presidency. He's got to be removed. To which I will say, well, that's what you have elections for, and you're going to have every chance to do that about a year from now. And then there's the other side who say, this is nothing but a witch hunt. Donald Trump can never do anything wrong. You know, this has all been political trying to you know, to overturn the results of the 2016 election? And my answer is, yeah, there, there's certainly an element to that. But President Trump, in many respects, in my opinion, is his own worst enemy by, you know, some of the conversations and some of the ways he views things. And, I mean, he, he brings upon, he br- impeachable or not, convictable or not, he brings a lot of this on himself, which isn't to say that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't out to get you. But I, I just I think 
this is what's going on now while people are worked up on both sides. I, I think at the end of the day, this becomes kind of a waste of spirit. And for Democrat presidential candidates, this sucks all the air out of campaigns. I mean, you're not talking about Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. You know, the, the general populace, I mean, all you hear 24-7 on the talking head shows and the cable news and the regular news is impeachment this, impeachment that, when the reality is it, it's not going to it's not going to result in the removal of President Trump. That's just the reality. But here's here's what I find to be interesting. You know, the Washington Post has a new poll out. And what the poll finds, and this is consistent with other polls that are out there, the poll finds 49, this poll says 49% of Americans say the president should be impeached and removed from office. 47% say he should not. This, these numbers are, are almost identical to similar polls that were taken in early October. It is very, very similar to the numbers that the Marquette poll found. Maybe they were reversed. Maybe it was 47% in Wisconsin said he shouldn't. 46% said he should be removed. But But what you have here is an incredibly divided electorate and and that's that's not going to change i mean of those 47 percent of the people who don't believe president trump should be removed from office there's nothing that's going to change their minds now maybe the numbers will tick up one way or the other but but we have a very very divided electorate and and i guess the point i try to make and some people just either don't want to understand or don't want to hear it is if you accept the premise that impeachment is a political act. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a criminal trial. It is a political move. You don't, you don't do something like removing the President of the United States where you don't have overwhelming support of the population. Now, there were revelations that came out during the Watergate years and primarily the, the Nixon tapes where it turned out that President Nixon had been lying to the American public for months and months. And in fact, he had been informed immediately after the Watergate break-in. He had been informed that, you know, Republican operatives have do- had done it. You know, and he was on tape talking about how they could get hush money to pay them off. All right. In that particular case, you had a sea change of public opinion. That was the, as they said, the smoking gun. You know, I I don't think there is or is going to be a smoking gun in this investigation. It kind of is what it is. You saw the same thing that was true as we spent two and a half years with the Mueller report and all that. It it ultimately led nowhere. People think that a number of people thought, well, President Trump was inappropriate in his dealings with Russia, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't lead anywhere. This this whole Ukraine and the one phone call and things like that, I, I think, are in the same boat. And I understand, as I'm saying this, there's people who are this. There's steam coming out of their ears, going, "No, don't you understand? He's a crook, and he's he's gotta he's gotta go." Well, okay, that's how you see it. Um, but right now, the at least a plurality, or at least perhaps fifty percent of the American public isn't there. And the truth is they're, they're not going to be there. So we can spend the next four or five, six months, you know, spinning our wheels and talking about all this. And at the end of the day, mark my words, next February or March, we're going to be in the same spot that we were. And the, the, the toeholds are going to be even deeper because the people that hate the president are going to still hate the president. The people that 
like the president or love the president, they're still going to feel that way. Will there probably or perhaps be a backlash among the what I call the it depends voters, the people who haven't really made up their mind. And there's not a lot of them, but there's enough to make a difference, especially in a number of the swing states. Well, okay, maybe they will be driven away from the president or maybe they'll say this whole thing is unfair. That That's what we don't know. But at the end of the day, I, I look at these polls. The headline in the Washington Post poll is Americans sharply divided over whether to impeach and remove President Trump from office. Okay, well, that's fine. But if you don't have an overwhelming majority of the American people on your side when you go down this route, seems to me to be a waste of spirit and a waste of everybody's time to do it. Concentrate on trying to figure out like how to fix Social Security. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Have a text, Jeff. High crimes and misdemeanors defined by the U.S. House of Representatives. Check, representatives, check out the articles of impeachment of Andrew Johnson. Um, all eleven of them. That that is actually kind of my point. That that impeachment is is a political process as as much as anything else. And in this case, the majority party, the Democrats in the House of Representatives, they get to decide if if it's a high crime or a misdemeanor. And then it goes over to the U.S. Senate, and the Senate gets to vote on that as well. And we all know what the outcome of this is going to be. It's just parties are locked in. You look at the impeachment inquiry vote yesterday, and it was essentially along party lines. All Democrats but two, and those are the two that – those two Democrats are in the very most Trump districts. Um, by, by that, I mean the ones that he won by the – huge margins in 2016, but nevertheless, the districts elected a Democrat. Those two Democrats obviously making a political decision, I would argue, that it's not in their interest to vote for the impeachment resolution. They vote together with all the Republicans. And, and that's just the, that's what I mean by when I say it is a political decision as opposed to as much as anything else. But I don't believe you undertake those sort of efforts unless you are sure. I mean, removing somebody from office is a huge thing. Step. And unless you've really got the goods and unless you're sure that the American people in overwhelming numbers agree with you. And I think all these different polls and you can believe polls or not, but all of them different show that regardless of what people think about President Trump, you know, uh, whether they'd reelect him or not, you know, that you don't have 70, 80 percent of the people thinking, oh, this man's a criminal and he has to go. I remember Richard Nixon. It got to that point. I don't see that it's going to get to that point with Donald Trump. Could be wrong, but I'm not. This Veterans Day, you can make a difference. Join John McCure and Stars and Stripe Honor Flight for WTMJ Cares. Operation Glory to help send our brave men and women to Washington. Each year, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight sends thousands of veterans to the nation's capital. Now is your chance to get them there. WTMJ Cares. Operation Glory wants to send a plane full of veterans on one of these amazing trips. Today is the day we're launching the campaign. To donate or learn more, learn more about our latest WTMJ Cares initiative, simply go to WTMJ com our website WTMJ cares is powered by Watry Industries and premier aluminum and it's brought to you by Carrick Holmes all right it is 230 
We're going to go to the breaking news, WTMJ Breaking News Center, with Melissa Barkley. And after that, well, you know what happens at 2.35 on Friday afternoons. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Fem Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Robert Evans passed away this week at the age of 89. Now, for many people, you know, Robert Evans, I, I, I haven't even heard that name, and I get that. But there was a point in time when Robert Evans was the hottest movie maker in the world. He, he started out as kind of an actor, sort of a like a B or C list actor, and then I think quickly realized that he, he, he wasn't going to be able to, to make it there. So what he did is he started getting into movie production. He found a couple mentors, and with little or no experience, he ended up becoming the, the studio head at Paramount Pictures. Now, first couple movies he made did not do well. As a matter of fact, there's this legendary story. The board of directors that owned Paramount was getting ready to just, just shut it down. We're not going to make movies anymore. This was like the 60s, and there'd been, it was this era where people, they were making like these big budget musicals and stuff, and nobody was going to watch them. And, and Robert Evans goes and talks to the board of directors. He says, look, this is what we got. Don't, don't shut me down because I've got all these great things that are in production. And his first big movie was, was Love's story which maybe you remember maybe you don't you ever heard of jordan love story well i do now okay you do now but up up until up until 30 seconds ago no okay love story was based on this incredibly popular bestseller by a guy named eric siegel and they they turned it into a movie and it's kind of this it's sort of this kind of sappy movie about ryan started young ryan o'neill um, and he's like a, a hockey player from, and, um, he, he's, he's, he goes to like Harvard or Yale or something like that. And he falls in love with this girl who's from kind of the other side of the tracks. And it's this great love affair. The girl was played by Allie McGraw. And I don't think I'm giving away anything. She dies at the end. So it's one of these kind of like tear jerkers about how the, the big catch line was love means never having to say you're sorry. I'm sorry I did this, honey. Love means never having to say you're sorry. But anyways, this was an enormous movie. This was this huge, huge hit that saved the studio. And it started, really, Robert Evans' career. He was the the guy. He ran Paramount Pictures at the time. um, They made The Godfather. And at the time they made Godfather 2, it's interesting. He had to fight. The story is he had to fight to get the Godfather movie made because mob movies in the 60s weren't doing well either. And so there's this, this book, that, like the Godfather, the Mario Puzo book, and, and Robert Evans is trying to go around and secure you know people to do it. And he said, look, here, here's the problem. I want to make an authentic one. If you look at, at all the mob movies that have been made in the last 10 years, they all feature Jewish actors. Well, I don't want to feature Jewish actors. I want to feature Sicilian actors. You know, we're going to give this an air of, like, authenticity, forgetting the fact that, you know, you had, like, the Bugsy Seagulls and stuff that were Jewish. But regardless, that, that was his idea. We're going we're gonna to go get Sicilian actors to make this. And 
you, you know, you, the Godfather was the Godfather, and it went on to be the Godfather too, and all that success. He ended up marrying Ali McGraw, and they were like the they were they were at the top of the tabloids for a few years, and then uh, she went off. He was working on the Godfather too, and she went off to make a movie with Steve McQueen, who was the hottest movie maker on the planet, and uh, they started having an affair. And Ali McGraw left Robert Evans for Steve McQueen, and you know, then it. it you know, and ultimately, you know, he left Paramount and got involved with drugs and stuff. But he passed away. But you know, it for at least that golden age of the late sixties and early seventies, he was the poster boy for all these great new movies. He was the guy behind uh, Chinatown, too, for example. Well, anyways, he he passed away. But his legacy is fighting for some of I, I think the best movies of of all time. For example, The Godfather, Chinatown. He was the guy that was the driving force behind Rosemary's Baby, you know, by with Roman Polanski, and you know a, a lot of bad movies as as well. But but nevertheless, he was responsible for making what I think are some of the greatest movies of all time. And for Pop Culture Corner this week, in recognition of the passing of Robert Evans, I thought we would take ourselves back to the roots of this segment and and, and talk about films and, and also talk about classics. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It can be an older movie. It can be a newer movie. It can be a contemporary movie. But here is my question, and it's a simple one. What is, in your opinion, the best movie of all time? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. You are a one-person Academy Awards. You've got the Oscar, but we're not given an Oscar for the best picture of the year. We're giving an all-time Oscar for the best picture ever. It could be a comedy. It could be a drama. It could be a musical. It could be a Western. doesn't matter. The Oscar for the best picture of all time, in honor of the passing of Robert Evans, goes to... You fill in the blank. 414-799-1620. As I always say, please call early because our phone lines tend to jam up and go with your first instinct. Don't overthink. All right, back with the calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. All right, in honor of the passing of Robert Evans, who was the Paramount Pictures Chief during the 70s, made all sorts of movies, Great movies, Chinatown, The Godfather, True Grit, a number of those. We're talking about the best movie ever. The Oscar goes to Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. I was thinking of an old musical back in, like, 1964 or whatever. Clint Eastwood had a singing part, and Lee Marvin was in it, too. It's called Paint Your Wagon, where these guys go out west. And they're digging a grave for guys' eyes right. on the thing, and they get and they find gold. Okay, Mike. Actually, Robert Evans, he was the producer for for Paint Your Wagon. Oh, but I, I do have to ask you this, my friend. Okay, so it's a musical with Clint Eastwood and with Lee Marvin, neither one of whom can sing a lick. That's your nominee for Best Picture of All Time. <laughs> It's not my nominee for Best Picture, but it's just a nominee for, like, most entertaining. I All think. right. Fair enough. Thanks for the call. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. I, matter of fact, and I like Lee Marvin, and I like Clint Eastwood. 
I actually paint your wedding. But there, there, it's a musical. Who in their right mind? I mean, I like Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry. I like Lee Marvin and the Dirty Dozen and a lot of the things that, that he did. The man who shot Liberty Valance. Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood singing, well, it would be like... I don't know, hiring me to sing. Not a good idea. 414-799-1620. All right, best movie ever. Let's talk to Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Uh, my, my pick is The Best Years of Our Lives. Okay. It was, uh, Frederick March and Danny Andrews. It was, it, was just a, it was really a great movie to see. It handled the situation of veterans coming back from World War II. Right, and trying to adjust. Yeah, great movie. Won an Oscar. Yeah, and it's, I just think it was just a fantastic movie. It was well-directed, and uh, even to this day, I just enjoy right. watching it. Yeah, and it, it holds up. No, no, I mean, thanks for the call. It, it holds up. It was a movie that was definitely before its time, and it focuses on the struggles of you know three people who were gone for years in World War II and coming back and, and trying to put the pieces of their life back together again. Caesar in Sheboygan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, thank uh, you. I actually have a tie. First one would be Lawrence of Arabia with Peter O'Toole. I, you know, his first big movie. That you know, he, yeah. he his first big movie. It that is that is an incredible film. I I watch that. I would say about once every six months, and I'm just I'm amazed at how they shot it. I'm amazed at the story. I love Lawrence of Arabia. Love it. Yeah, that you could go over and over and watch. The scenery is unbelievable, Omar Sharif. But the second would be Dr. Zhivago also. Okay, another Omar Sharif one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm less of a fan of Dr. Zhivago, but, um, but, but again, you know, it, it, certainly another epic type of movie. 414-799-1620, the best ever. Shirley in Oak Creek. Shirley, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. The Oscar goes to... Has to be the all-time classic, The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Do you ever get tired of watching that? Never. And that's the only movie I will watch over and over and over. It's wonderful. Love it. Yeah, you know, um, I've been watching all. You know, there's a new movie that's out with Renee Zellweger playing uh, Judy Garland, and you know, they, they show her singing over the rainbow and stuff. I, I guess part of it. Every time I watch The Wizard of Oz nowadays, I just it's hard for me to look at her and realize. You know what? What being a grown up, how how that whole thing, you know, took it out of her. But Judy Garland is just perfect in that movie. Well, for its day, it had it had wonderful costumes. Yeah. It had a great story. It had you know adventure. And it was good for kids. It was good for adults. It was just an overall good movie. And to this day, I think I make my granddaughters watch it just because I think it was a good enough movie for everyone to enjoy. Oh yeah, um, no, no, that right, exactly. Thanks. No, and it's 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 also. I mean, I. It was also revolutionary for its time because a lot of movies were – they were still making lots of movies in black and white back then. And, of course, the beginning in the the Kansas scenes, it's in black and white, and then she lands in Oz, and then it's this vibrant color. It was a movie well ahead of its time. 414-799-1620. Dante in Milwaukee. Hi, Dante. Dante. Going once, going twice. Let's talk to John in Waukesha. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Hi John. Um, I gotta go with Schindler's List, um, and it was my first, you know, reaction when you when you when you brought this subject up. It's just a heavy movie. It was well done. The story is is strong. Yeah. Um, it's one of those movies that you know you. You watch once, and you wonder if you could watch it again. You know, it's funny you would say that because that's what I was just about to say. I watched it once in a theater, 
I thought it was just so incredibly compelling. I've never, I, I've never seen it. I, I've, I've probably seen sections of it since then, but I, I don't know that I could sit through it and watch it again. It was just and, so and, uh, incredibly powerful. And wasn't it? Wasn't oh. the theater quiet on, at the end of it? Oh my God! You could hear a pin drop. It, it just incredible. No, thanks. Schindler's List, incredibly well done, but hard, hard to watch. And when we were on our river cruise a couple months ago, and we we toured the Anne Frank house and and all that stuff, and you just. Man, I, I tell you, it just, the, the horror of this, just kind of, of, of the Holocaust just hits home. It, it is an incredible movie, very, very difficult to watch on, on a different, certainly not a significant level, but another movie like that, the old Dustin Hoffman movie, Lenny, uh, Bob Fosse was the director, the guy who did Cabaret, and, and it's the story of Lenny Bruce. And I remember in high school going to see this in the theater, and it's just the, the last 15 or 20 minutes are incredibly impressing, depressing as this very talented guy falls into heroin addiction and ends up you know, dead of an overdose. It's another one where you just kind of walk out and go, oh, my God. And I've never been able to watch that movie either. Now, I'm not equating that with Schindler's List, which I do think is one of the greatest movies of all time. Todd, downtown. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Casablanca, all just absolutely the greatest movie of all time. Sacrificial love and just just great acting and just great music, great everything in that movie. A young Ingrid Bergman. I mean, just what a beautiful actor. Just, just uh, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Todd. When, when I when I was trying to make my list of different movies that I would put if I was answering this question, I never get. I'm a huge Bogart fan to begin with, but but he was at his best in Casablanca. There's no question about it. Yeah, and the thing of it is, is Ingrid Bergman didn't even like that movie. It's really funny. She could not believe why everybody got so got over it. Uh, it well, it's right. I, I think, and I mean, and they had trouble coming up with the end. And I mean, I've read a number of books about the production thing. If you go over to my um, my 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 little workstation here, my pod, I've, I've got a I've got a Casablanca movie poster up. I I I just I never. It's one of these that I never get tired of. And if I'm channel surfing and it's on somewhere. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to watch it. Steve in West Dallas. Steve, you're on WTMJ. The Oscar goes to... Back to the Future. Okay, the trilogy or just the first one? Well, they're all good, but the first one to me is is, is the most timeless. It's, yeah. it's marvelously done. The story, I mean... 88 miles an hour is going to mean something forever. <laughs> right. And the Libyans. The Libyans will mean something as well, yeah. That's right. Let's see if you can do 90... Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, the reason I asked you is, is I thought Back to the Future, I, I would agree, just an incredible, Michael J. Fox was great, just an incredible movie. I actually, I thought the second one was dark and I thought the third one was kind of silly, but I thought, I'm with you, I think the first one was as close to a perfect movie as you could get. Oh, yeah. When a picture of his brother's disappearing, I mean, it's so cool. Right. Hey, you you want to know my Back to the Future trivia? You know, um, Michael J. Fox was originally not cast in that part, and they filmed about three quarters of the movie with the other actor, and then decided it wasn't working, and so they hired Michael J. Fox, and they went back and reshot all these scenes. Oh yeah, the right actor is always so important. I, I, you know, the, the chemistry you see it on the film, you can feel it. And it just makes for an amazing, yeah, you know, entertainment. Right. Thanks. And I'm and I'm drawing a blank on who the actor was. He was one of the guys that played Sean Penn's buddies in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But they hired him. He he did the performance. They got three quarters of the way through the shooting, and they figured it just wasn't working. And they brought in Michael J. Fox. Uh, let's talk to Mike in West Dallas. Hi, Mike. I think back to the video was Eric something or another. Eric Stoltz. Thank you, yeah, Eric Stoltz. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. 
Um, I got two. Um, I, I I don't know how anybody can recognize To Kill a Mockingbird. Gregory Peck. I mean, he yeah. kills it. I, I mean, that's T- timeless. Timeless. Stands Carolina. out. You can watch that's it today. Fun. Yep. You can yeah, watch it today, uh, and you can watch poems, it a year from now. Yep. Poems that still talk about today that still resonate with today, but to talk about uh, the right actor in the right part. I mean, he was what voted the, the top hero of the 20th century, I believe. And in, in, yeah, uh, the Atticus Finch uh, thing. Uh, yep. But oh, uh, it's not again. I, I I have a soft spot for Steve McQueen, so I'm gonna have to see Great Escape as well. Oh, the great thing! Well, another out, outstanding. Yeah, I mean, Great Escape. Um, just an outstanding movie as well, with all sorts of great actors and just uh, yeah. And I, Steve McQueen was quite quite the actor, no question about it. Let's see, one or two more. Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, the Oscar goes to Titanic. Okay. <laughs> no. Every time me and my girlfriend are sitting there and you know your channel's surfing and you see a movie that are playing, we'll always go on Titanic. We just enjoy watching it. <laughs> they all die not in just, the end, or most of them die in the end. <laughs> well, yeah, and right. it's not because of the cheesy love story or anything. It's just I thought it was a good movie. Yeah. Just, it caught, it held your attention. No, I I get it. Exactly. No, thank, thanks. That was another one. I, I remember walking out of the theater going, oh. but but it's but I mean I'll give you this. I mean you know how it's going to turn out, and, and still it, it holds your attention. So I you know I. Uh, Okay, they're, they're, I'm, this is a non-judgmental show. You want to like Titanic? You got it. Frank in Green Bay. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Yes, uh, Bridge uh, Over the River Kwai. I just watched that within the last week. It was on. It was one of those. I'll just watch five or ten minutes. I ended up watching the whole two and a half or three hours. William Holden, never get tired of that movie either. It is a great film. Yep, Alec Guinness. Yep, All right. Uh, character he played and how he was so conflicted at the end that you know he just kind of went against right it was such a surprise that he wanted to save the bridge right and, uh, yeah it, it, right exactly no i'm i'm with you. i mean it, it, i mean these are classics that we we were talking about for me it would be casablanca but there's also there, there's a lot of other you know really good movies that are coming out and, and i think a number of them are going to end up standing the test of time all great choices. Thanks for participating in Pop Culture Corner. We're going to come back in just a minute and find out what John McCure has on his mind.